doing, and it's awesome, and uh, we just praise God for it. And I want to jump right in. I don't want to waste any time tonight, and let's get on uh, with Relationships and Marriage 101. We started it last week, and we started, if you want to turn to Ephesians 5.25, we saw that relationships and marriage is very important for us because, uh, here's what this says, this is, uh, no, it'll be, I think it's Ephesians 5.25 there, Roger. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay? So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now Christ only did and said what he saw the Father do. So when Christ loves the church, who is he loving the church like? Like his loving Father. And one of the reasons why the devil attacks relationships and marriages so heavily is because it is the earthly picture of God's love for mankind. And so it's very important for us, and here's the thing to understand, if you get a hold of this and you start understanding what God has done in marriage and relationships and what a real, godly, heavenly marriage and relationship looks like, you start learning who who you look like to him. What does the bride look like in the eyes of the bridegroom? The real way that it should happen. And that's what we're looking at. So it's very important for us to understand marriage and relationships the way that God sees them. This is not something, well, I'm not married so I don't need to hear it. No, you absolutely need to hear this because you need to know what it looks like when it's real. And what this does is it helps us to grow in knowledge of who God is. And when you grow in knowledge of who God is and you start walking into an intimate fellowship with him, your problems start dissolving because everything happens and is empowered by love and love goes to your knowledge and fellowship with God. So knowing about marriage, godly marriage and relationship helps you to know and understand God the way that he really is. So it's very important for every believer to know about Marriage and relationships according to God. So that's what we were looking at last week was that marriage is a picture of God's love. So if you didn't hear that, I definitely recommend that you go back. I heard lots and lots of compliments about that series. Uh, but tonight what we're going to be talking about is what is love? Uh, because it's important for us to define it. Now, We've spent a lot of time uh, over the last few months talking about love, so a lot of this you will have heard before, but maybe you haven't looked at it in this direction before, and it's important. I'm going to talk about the four different kinds of love uh, that the Bible talks about or it shows in there, and then you know, we, want to, we want to make sure that we define it. When we understand, all right, God is love and God loves us and marriage is founded on love, we need to know what it is. And when I say that, what is love, Barrett, actually, I think with the, with the youth last week, did what is love, that was the title of it, and um, my, my mind went to that song, what is love, yeah, that's exactly where my <laughs> mind went, that's exactly, that's exactly it, <laughs> now everybody's singing that song in here, so, um, but we need to know what is love, what does it mean, and I want you to see something, because if you, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 13. If we don't know what love is, 
then everything that we do in the name of love really has no power, has no meaning. And so it's very, very important when we're looking at marriage and relationships, it's very important for us to know what is love? What does it look like? Why is it important? And the truth of the matter is most of the time our definition of love is what the world's taught us. Our definition of love is what we've felt. Our definition of love is, is thoughts that we've had. But we really need to know, what is God's definition of love? And if you look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now, it says three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. Well, do you want, when you're married and you're in a relationship and it's God-given, do you want it to last? Well, then wouldn't it be important for us to know what kind of love that is? Because you see, there are four different kinds of love, and what it's talking about is just one of them. And if we're not moving in that one, the problem is we try to bring in an eternal covenant on something that's not eternal. We need to move in this. This love right here is one of the four. You have an eros love, a phileo love, a storge love. It looks like storge. It's a G, but you pronounce it with a J. And then you have agape love. Agape love is the love of the Father. Okay? So now, the love of the Father is that agape love, that unconditional giving type of love. And when it says back there in that verse, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, the one that it's talking about is agape love. It's that godly kind of love. And so we need to look at all of these and understand them and understand what happens. And what's funny is, uh, this is what I'm basically taking is my notes from pre-marriage counseling. And we're going over this. This is in a lot more detail than I usually am able to get into. But what's going to be funny is I'm going to give you some of my secrets that I use in that counseling session. So now when they come for counseling, I'll be able to tell if they actually watch the videos or not. So, <laughs> so here, here's some of the stuff. This is one of the things that I ask people. Here's one of the questions that I ask them. All right, think about, if you're married, think about when you first met your spouse, or if you're engaged, uh, think about when you first met your spouse. How did you know, this is a question I ask, how did you know when you were first in love with them? How did you know? What was that moment? What made you feel like you were in love? Why, why, how would you say, or why would you say, I'm in love with this person and I know it? You know, and generally uh, smiles come over their face and everybody, you know, sometimes they start giggling and all kinds of stuff like that. And, um, but how do you know? Describe to me, tell me why and when you knew that you were in love. And generally what will happen is they'll come out and they'll say something like, well, they just make me feel so complete or I just, I just, they make me feel, you know, warm and fuzzies on the inside or whatever, something like that. Or, you know, I just knew because every time I got around them, I had these feelings and it was just awesome. And I just knew that they were the one, right? And, and 
that's awesome. That's not bad. That's not bad. But it's not love. It's not that kind of love. It's not that love that will last forever. Okay? A lot of times I'll, I'll say, and I generally date myself, uh, and, and used to, everybody got this answer, but now as time goes on, I have people looking at me like, what? Uh, but Janet Jackson had a song, and uh, the song said this, what have you done for me lately? Dun, 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 dun. Sorry, there you go. See, you're singing it again. We're all over the songs tonight. So, and I would say she had that song, and the song was about, literally, what have you done for me lately? You know, if you're expecting me to love on you and to be with you, what have you done for me lately, right? And so the problem with that is that is exactly how the world teaches you about love. Well, they gave me butterflies when I saw them, and when I thought of them, I just heard the birds chirp, and, you know, and, and you know, just... All these things that pass away, that can pass away. They don't have to be gone forever, and they're not bad things, but it's not a love that lasts forever. And then they go down the road with that kind of love as their foundation and find out that it's got cracks in it because it doesn't last. And it's not, that's not a bad thing, that's just scriptural. This is the one that lasts. The agape love is the one that lasts. Generally what people have is they have uh, an eros kind of love. Now eros, the, eros and storge kind of love, is those are Greek words for the four different kinds of love. In English, we just say love. But in Greek, they had four different kinds of of words that would that would describe the different feelings. So eros was the one that is that burning uh, desire for. That's where uh, this we would define it like this: lust. That's what it is. It's a lust. And but you have to understand that lust by itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Lust is bad when you start using it the wrong way, or when you start using it as a foundation for something eternal. It's not going to work. Lust can be a great thing when it's used properly. It can be really good. But that eros kind of love is what we would define as lust. Um, desire, longing, and passion. You know, this is, These are feelings that we will have and, and will desire. You can see this, although the Greek word eros and the Greek word storge is not mentioned in the Bible, you see examples of these things in action in the Bible. Uh, this uh, eros kind of love you can definitely see uh, in Song of Solomon. And if you read that, you, know, you can be reading that by yourself and still blush at some of the things once you catch it. I remember reading that as a kid and not thinking that much about it. Then I read it as an adult, I'm like, oh my gracious. <laughs> But there is some kind of love that's good called eros, but it's not one to have a foundation on. We need to be operating in agape. In, now, and here's another example of that in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8 and 9. It says this, this is Paul talking, he says, But I say to the unmarried uh, widows, that it is good for them if they remain even as I. Now what this means is that he was unmarried. Okay? And he's saying it's good if they remain unmarried. If they're, if they're uh, widows now or they're unmarried, it's good for them to not get married again. All right? Now, 
That's not saying that if you're married, you should get divorced and be unmarried. I've heard people say that. That's not what that's saying. That's not saying that everybody shouldn't be married. Because one of the things that it says next is this. It says, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And what he's saying is, if they have a passion uh, for that that's going to override them, it's better for them to be married. You know, and and that's a that's a good godly thing. For example, you know, some people get into condemnation over this verse because now they're married or they want to get married. Don't get in condemnation over it. He goes on, you know, the Bible talks about that just as much as it talks about being married. So it's not a bad thing. And I'll give you my example. I can remember as a kid, uh, I wrote a poem to Nicole uh, that I read at our um, at our wedding. And one of the lines was, for as long as I can remember, God gave me a dream, you know. And uh, it talked about my dream of a wife-to-be. And as long as I can remember, I dreamt of a wife and a family. And that was God-given. That was a desire that God gave me. And so it's okay to be married or not married, but it's important for us to understand that we can't burn with a passion, burn with an eros, and let that rule. Okay, This is, this is a very important thing. Um, eros, love, and I'm spending probably more time on that than I will on the storge and the phileo because this is the one that people uh, misunderstand the most. Uh, eros, love is not necessarily bad in itself, but it's like feelings in our fingers, okay? Um, For example, how important and how awesome is it that you have feelings in your fingers when you go to touch a hot plate, right? It's good, because if you didn't have feelings in your fingers, you would sit there and get burnt. Right? You wouldn't pull your hand away. Well, see, some people get mad at the feelings because they can feel the pain. Well, it's keeping you from dying, you know, because you sit there long enough and burns can, can, you know, cover enough of your body and do enough damage that it can actually really hurt you or cause you to lose uh, appendages and stuff like that. So it's not the feelings that are bad. They're there and they're good if you put them to use in the right way. Well, that's the same way eros is, that lust and that desire uh, for uh, a member of the opposite sex and particularly for your spouse. You know, Other than that, you need to keep it under control. Listen to this statement. L- like feelings in our feeling, in our fingers, Eros is neither good or bad until we try to live by them. That makes it bad. When you start trying to live by your feelings or live by an Eros love, that's when it gets bad. But you see, that's what the world has taught us to do, that we live and move by by our five senses, right? And, and it, we should know our five senses. We should know how to operate in there. But when we start trying to live in Christ through our five senses only, we mess up. You know? In Romans, it says this in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. It said, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
So in other words, what it's saying is, if you're according to the flesh, you're not according to God, because that wars against the spirit that is God. So if you're according to the flesh, your mind is going to be set on feeling, because that's fleshly. If you're according to the flesh, your mind is going to be set on eros, because that's fleshly. You see? But it, it's not, it itself is not necessarily bad until you start trying to live by it. Okay? Then it says this, for the, verse 6, for the mindset on the flesh is death. All right? So when we set our mind and try to live by eros or try to live by our feelings, it's death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not able, even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, if we're trying to live in a, in a marriage or a relationship based on eros love, how you make me feel, that is a fleshly desire and a fleshly type of love. And when we try to seek a foundation or we try to seek life in that, Life in that desire, life in that desire for somebody, life in that passion for someone, life in those feelings towards someone, life in that lust, and we try to make that the life to support the heavenly covenant, we're going to find that it will very quickly fade away. There's no life in it. It can be enjoyable for something that does have life in it, let me put it this way. God is love, agape love, and God is life. And so in other words, when you're trying to live by eros, you're trying to live by something that's other than God and trying to get life to come into a marriage or a relationship without God. It's not going to work. So just you know, when you just burn towards that person and that's what it's based on, there's not going to be life in that marriage. There's not going to be life in that relationship. It's not going to happen. Same thing between you and God. If you're just living in a relationship between you and God and it's just based on how good you feel, it's not going to have life in it. You're basing it off of an eros love. God, what have you done for me lately? And what you're going to be disappointed because there's more to love than just what you feel. So a lot of people are like, well, I hadn't felt God in a while in church, so he must not be there anymore. That has nothing to do with it. I hadn't felt him touch me in a while. He must not love me anymore. And what they're doing is they're basing everything off of what the world has taught them about love, and it's wrong, and God's not in it. And so then they're, then they're doing everything in their marriage and their fellowship, even with God, based on what they feel, what their senses tell them. You know what's missing in that whole equation? Besides love? Faith. Because faith is needed when you don't see the evidence. So we're not to live by sight. We're not to live by the flesh. We're not to live by emotions and physical senses. We're not to live by eros, love. We're not to live by desire and lust and passion. We're not to live by that. We live in our relationships, in our marriages, in our fellowship with God, we live by faith. In other words, we trust God no matter what we feel, see, hear, you know, experience. Makes no difference. We don't live by that. We trust Him. 
And you see how we've had this backwards from the way it actually is? Not just with God, but in our marriages also? Okay. So then you go back to that statement that I made before, especially after looking at that, that there's death in living by the flesh. Like our feelings in our fingers, Eros' love is neither good or bad until we try to live by it. When we try to make that our source, that's when we mess up. Now you look at this, look at, do you realize, you know, how many, let, let me just throw this question out there, I'm not expecting you to answer it, but I think you'll laugh along with me, is how many people out there unmarried do you think are living in eros as a foundation for their fellowship and relationship? 99. 8 or 9% because that's what the world's taught them to do. They've never had this kind of teaching. How important is it for people to have this kind of teaching before they even start dating? Because here's the thing. If, they don't, if they're not dating on these same principles, you're going to do what is... You're going to have... Uh, you know, Jim was talking about, you're going to have... Uh, God, the way you live life. In other words, what's going to happen is if you date on the foundation and basis of Eros, then you're going to get an Eros relationship. So you've got to start dating on an agape type love in order to have that kind of relationship. In other words, if you continue to go out there looking for what you're looking for, you're already in the wrong place because you're looking. You don't have to look. <laughs> you have to hear from God. We walk by faith and not by sight. You have to live for Him. You have to trust Him, like we said last week, that He will create the exact person just for you and put them right in your path at just the right time. Well, now when you start to move in that and you start to, start to see that, all of a sudden God can bring exactly what you need because He knows every need that you have, every desire that you have. And I've, I've found that when I give myself to Him and when He asks me to hand something over to Him, He generally replaces what I think I've lost with something even better that actually meets more of my needs and desires than I even knew I had. That's why, because he loves you with an agape love. <laughs> That's why. All right, so our next uh, love after Eros is phileo love, and uh, that is a brotherly love or fondness or an emotion. It's a, it's a draw. Romans 12.10 says this, and, and phileo love is mentioned all over the New Testament, and it's a very good kind of love. It's a brotherly love. It's kind of like, you know, the more you hang out with somebody, the more they become like family to you. And, and that love, naturally, it's a fondness. It naturally is going to go to that person. And you're going to have a love for them, okay? And then in uh, Romans 12.10, it says, Be devoted to one another in this phileo love, this brotherly love, Give preference to one another in honor. So this is something that we need to be operating in. And this is something that belongs in your relationship as well. You're not just in eros. You're not just in agape. You have a fondness because of the things that you like to do and, and want to do in those things. You know, in those areas and in those activities, you, you should have a fondness with one another in that way. 
Um, brotherly love is very interesting, but it is something that's kind of felt. But here's the thing about eros and phileo love and storge love. They can, uh, they can wax and wane. They can come and go. You know, it's kind of like uh, I've had people in my life that, man, they were just a huge part of my life because, and we were around each other all the time. And then all of a sudden, you know, life takes us in different directions. We're not around each other as much anymore. I don't feel the same as I did at that time when we were so close. Why? Because I don't love them? No, I love them. But I'm not around them as much to keep that bond. It, it, it goes and come, it comes and goes based off of, you know, fellowship, relationships, stuff like that. This is the way uh, phileo, a brotherly love, does is because it will go up and come down based off of everything that's going on. Romans 12.10, like I said, says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We need to give to each other. In other words, one of the things in brotherly love is that we develop one of the things God's telling us it's important for us to do is to develop a brotherly love not one based off of eros not one based off of lust and desire but based off of fellowship with one another we need to develop it and in our marriages and in our relationships you know this is something we need to not only have and is good to have but we also need to develop there as well so what God shows us a lot is this brotherly love is not something that, that will just uh, you know, make you do stuff. It's something that you have to set your mind to do. You have to set your mind to want relationships. In other words, your flesh will probably fly, fight against that. You've got to set your mind to want to do that. Now, part of that is developed in agape. We'll see that a little bit later. But it's something like it said, be devoted to one another. This is a commandment. We need to make sure that we're devoted to each other. You know, uh, in Galatians 6, it says, bear the burdens of one another. You know, help each other out. Lift them up. You know, and that doesn't just mean, you know, to pray for them. That means be there for them. You know, this is a part of that brotherly love. Then we have a storge love. Like I said, looks like uh, Storge, it's S-T-O-R-G-E uh, is the best way that we can put it in English. Storge is a family love, and this is a bond among mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers. Now, again, Eros love and Storge love, neither one of those are actually listed in the New Testament in Greek, but we do see uh, where they're in there. Uh, for example, you can find ex examples of a familial love in the Old Testament. You can see it in Noah and his sons. You can see it in Abraham uh, with Isaac. You know, he, as much as, I mean, he had to sacrifice Isaac, but he had a family love for his son. You know, you see it in the New Testament uh, with Mary and Martha over Lazarus. You see, so you see this family love. And I would say that this is, to me, and this is definitely not a you know Webster's de definition of it, but I would say this family type love, the storge love, is kind of like uh, a brotherly love, a phileo love, amplified, multiplied. Because I think that you can have this family type of love even with people that aren't blood relatives. You can get to the place where this is 
Uh, and actually, when you start understanding walking in the Spirit and the family of the Spirit, you'll start to see that God's put family, people that are not just brothers and sisters in your path, they're family, you know. And this family love story, it's like, it's a stronger bond than just a phileo type love. And in our marriage and our relationships, we should have this kind of storge love in that in that relationship too. And I would say that you would see it almost like this. Um, God's kind of given us uh, some covenant rights. Uh, for instance, if you, you know, I'm not going to hurt you. You know, I'm not going to do anything against you or come against you. Really, if you come after me in most, in most ways. But like if you came to my house and you threatened my kids and my wife, you're going to see some store J love come out, right? <laughs> and it will lay on some hands, you know, and, uh, and it'll be good, and it'll be godly. Why? Because it's a part of covenant. It's a part of, hey, you're messing with my family, you know, as Jesse would say, you're messing with my family, you're messing with me, you know, and, uh, and that's just it, you know, there's that, and that's an okay kind of thing, you know, that's, uh, let, let me put it this way, God has that towards you. He has that kind of love Towards you, you know, the devil starts messing with you, right? Well, Jesus is up there talking to his father about this. He's your advocate. Hey, hey, dad, we got to do something about this. Start sending some angels to speak life to this, to, to our kid, you know, to my brother, to your kid. Start speaking life to him. Start, start whispering because the devil's eating him up right now. You know, he's got some of this kind of love inside of him so this is a family kind of love so we have eros eros which is the desire longing and passion and and lust um then we have the phileo which is brotherly love or fondness uh because of a, a common path or common grouping uh or emotion it's an emotion it's a it's a compassion towards other people you know and then you have the storge which is the family love, the bond uh, between mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers. And then uh, we have agape love. Now, this is the one that we've talked about the most, and I know that most of you have heard uh, the definition of agape love because really we talk about it all the time. But I think seeing it in this context tonight will really help you, and I'm going to go quickly through it. Uh, in John 15... Uh, verse 12 through 14, it says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, I have even read things that said that, that humans are not capable of loving in agape love, in God's kind of love. Um, well, this kind of real quickly takes care of that because Jesus says, hey, this is my commandment to you. And he says, I want you to agape love one another. So, you know, I, I don't know where people get some of the stuff they, they say. But anyway, um, he says, I want you to do this. In other words, this is something that we should be doing all the time. I'm going to make a statement at the end of this that I really want you to pay attention to. And you'll, you'll get it. Um, you'll understand this as we go on. Agape love is more principle sometimes than it is feelings. I'm going to say it to you again in a minute. But you understand you do things because it's right, you know, because it's right, not because you feel like you should. That's agape love, okay? Um, 
This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater, in other words, hey, hey kids, uh, believers, Christians, my children, I want you to love on each other whether you feel like it or not. I want you to love on each other. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You're my friends. If you, do, if you do what I command you. Now, right here we kind of see the whole picture of agape love. You know, it's a choice and it's a commitment uh, to lay down your life. And it's unconditional giving. doesn't matter what you're feeling like. And you sh- at the leading of God. You know, so right here we kind of see the whole definition in this verse of what love is. Agape love is a choice. Number, there's four parts. A choice and commitment to unconditional giving at the leading of God. And I want to show you some verses to really point that out to you. First of all, it's a choice and it's a commitment. Uh, agape love can be seen by looking at God. Okay? We, God is love. And when it says love, it's God is agape. Okay? Um, you have two different types of the Greek word agape. One is agape, that's the noun, and then I think it's agapeo uh, is the verb. Same thing, just one's the noun, one's the verb. Uh, God is, most of the time when people talk about though they don't say the agapeo, and it might be agapao, I don't know. But um, anyway, um, see I got bad jokes, but I enjoy them, so y'all leave me alone. Agape me right now, okay? All right. I mean agapeo me. So anyway, it's the verb, bam. So, um, but God is agape love. God is agape love. And um, this is what he is. And we see agape when we look at him, and we look at him when we look at Jesus. So he says this, agape love is a choice and a commitment to unconditional giving at the leading of God. Now God shows us that by his character and his nature. Let's look at the choice part. First of all, we've got to choose to unconditionally give. We have to choose that. And, and you'll see that God chose us. You know, he could have just destroyed the earth. He could have just left us. He didn't have to do what he did. But here in 1 Peter 2.9 it says, But you are a chosen race. In other words, he chose you. You were a choice to him. Remember, all of these things, if we're going to have a foundation that lasts, then we need something that lasts. And it said love lasts. Agape love lasts forever. So if we're going to have in our marriage and relationships something that lasts forever and it will not be broken, then the foundation has to be agape love, not eros, not phileo, not storge. It's got to be agape because that's the one that lasts forever. So if it's going to last forever, then that means when we see the characteristics of agape love, we have to choose to put them into practice. And right here, you have to choose your partner. You have to choose them. They're a choice. In other words, I can't just say, well, if it goes good, I'll keep them. Well, you're already outside of agape. They're not a choice to you. In order to have the foundation that lasts, you have to choose them. 
And, and so it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Such great promises in that verse. But the key there that I want you to see is you are chosen. Ephesians 1.4 also says this, just as he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Holy and blameless before him because he chose us before the foundation of the world. And this really steps into the next thing. You see, if he would have gotten completely mad at mankind and wiped us out like with Noah, you know, and completely wiped mankind off the face of the earth, start over, redo, you know, I'll take a mulligan on earth, thank you very much. If, 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 that was, if that was the heart of God, he wouldn't have been very committed to his choice, would he? But he was committed to it. He was very much committed. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, it says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. In other words, Jesus was saying, my will in this moment? In other words, not just his, the will of his spirit. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the will of my flesh right now is not to do this. Not my will, but yours be done. So he was saying the will of my flesh right now is to say, I'm done with these people. They don't love on me. They're about to kill me when I come and to give my life for, you know, I don't want to do this. Fleshly, physically, what I see, what I feel, what's going through me right now, I don't want to do this. But I'm committed. And he was a picture of the Father. And just as he chose us before the foundation of earth, even after all the stuff that we did and messed up, he was committed to see his love choose us and keep us. So love is not only a choice, but it's a commitment. So when we're setting the foundation in our marriage and our relationships, we got to make it, we got to choose the other person. And we got to be committed to that person. We got to be committed to them. And that's a lifelong thing. You know, one of the things we talked about last week is God's not a covenant breaker. And if our job, or excuse me, if our position is, well, I'm going to go into this relationship and as long as they, you know, everything goes right, I'll stay there, then what we're automatically doing is saying that God is a covenant breaker because I'm going to come and make covenant before him, but he's going to be okay if I break this because it's not right. That is not the heart of God. You are grossly mistaken about that. And you're actually, through your actions and thoughts, proclaiming it to be okay with him. Otherwise, you should not perform this type of uh, covenant in front of him. So this is not something we should even be thinking about or considering. Now, he said, and he knew that our hearts would be so bent that it would practically drive us crazy and kill us if we didn't escape some of them. But that's not saying that it's right for us to think that way. We need mind renewal to think God's way, that he's committed to us. We need mind renewal on those things. 
You know, he was saying it would just be so absolutely bad because some people would be so fleshly and so physical thinking and so outside of agape love thinking that it would be horrible for them and their spouse. And for that reason, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses gave you divorce. And that was basically it. So, it, But when we start thinking that way, we're literally saying, all right, Lord, it's okay with you to break covenant. Well, you really don't understand God. It's not okay. God is not a covenant breaker. And when, he, when he, you come before him to make this covenant, you're saying we're asking for your blessing on this to keep it, right? And when you just think that that's you know, a possibility, it's not. He's committed. He is committed to the very end. You know, you think about, let me, let me put it like this. Compare, you know, all right, for anybody who's married and been in relationships, and maybe it's been good, maybe it's been bad. Uh, for you who aren't married, think about, and you, you may or may not know at this point how to put this in context, but think about some of the bad stuff that could happen in a marriage. Um, think about it this way. There's a whole bunch of people that get divorced because they get to the place where they don't think anything is reconcilable. Okay, So if you can think about that and think about how bad it could get, now compare that to what mankind has done to God. Doesn't compare. And yet God stayed committed to us. And that's the kind of commitment we should take back and trust in him to take back into our relationship and faith to take back into God. Because agape love is looking at him, seeing who he is, seeing what agape is, and then being that, doing that, choosing that no matter what we feel. That's agape. So if you can imagine what has mankind done I mean, I've heard people out of their own mouth say, you know, I hate God. You know, say stuff like that. I've heard people say some really blasphemous stuff towards God and take actions against Him in horrendous ways. Do some terrible things. Just think about ISIS right now to God's children, what they're doing to God's children, and think about them, how much they're against God, and he still loves them. Think about how far-reaching his commitment goes. And then we need to take that back and, and look at our relationship. And generally what we're going to find is, my God, gracious. You know, because let's say that they're doing something bad to you. If they're doing it bad to you, they're doing it bad to God too. And his heart is to forgive them bring them out of that, and restore them to the place of love. A lot of times what's holding him back is us not forgiving that person and, and pretending like we're godly. So what they see on us, the picture of God's love that they see, is what is the unforgiveness that we're bringing to that relationship. This is where it's our job to be the hands of the feet and show our spouse and to show other people this is what God really looks like. Even when you do this horrible stuff, I'm forgiving you. 
Now, I might not need to hang around with you for a while, but I'm still even believing God for restoration because I'm committed because agape love is. It's big stuff. And then, so, we have a choice and a commitment to unconditional giving. Uh, Romans 5, 6, and Romans 5, 6, 5, 8, and 5, 10 shows that we were helpless, that we were sinners, and that we were even enemies by God's own word. These were the things that we were. So it's when it said in each one of these verses, while we were helpless, Christ died. While we were sinners, Christ died. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. It's at our worst that God said, John 3.16, For I loved you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's at our worst that he gave. So he wasn't giving based off of conditions. He was unconditionally given to you. He wasn't given because we did it right. He was given even when we did it wrong. So when we're talking about marriage and relationships, we got to understand that the agape love that we're bringing in there is not based off of what that person does. Because if you're just giving and loving based off of what that person does, you're right back to the eros. I'm giving to you because you make me feel good. And that doesn't last. you got to give no matter what they do if you're going to be an agape, and that lasts. If you want to bring life into the fellowship and life into the relationship, then you've got to bring God in. Then you've got to bring agape in. And that means that you give unconditionally no matter what they've done. You know, I I can't tell you how many times I've heard husbands and wives, well, well, he didn't take out the trash. I'm just so tired of him sitting around acting like he's tired after he gets home from work and I'm doing this and so I'm just not going to do this for him. And what is that? That's Eros. Well, when he takes out the trash, then I'll give to him. Well, when she cooks dinner for me, then I'll take out the trash. And so you've got two people completely in Eros, focused on themselves, and no wonder there's no life in the marriage because there's no agape. There's no unconditional giving. So unconditional giving, one of the things that I, that I say is this, is, is when you get to people and they're both operating in agape, now watch this, if they're both operating in unconditional giving, they're not giving because you did something, they're giving because they've made a choice and a commitment. And they're starting to t- think about you the way they think about themselves. When, let's say, a husband and a wife start giving to each other unconditionally, if a husband gives to the wife unconditionally, what's the wife missing? What's she in lack for? What does she need? Nothing. And if, if, if the uh, wife gives to the husband unconditionally, what's the husband lacking? Nothing. Do you see the beauty in that? But see, we've been so much in eros, what the world's taught us. We've been so much in desire and and what have you done for me lately that we can't see past that. We can't see a choice and commitment and we sure can't see unconditional. 
And so now both of them are lacking. And it just snowballs towards hell. You know? Right downhill. Because neither one of them will stand up and say, agape is a responsibility. It's more of a principle than it is a feeling. So, love is a choice and a commitment to unconditional giving. At the leading of God, John 5.19 says this, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. In other words, Jesus only did, and he operated in love 100% of the time, and he only did what he saw the Father do. In other words, he only did what he had the Father lead him to do. He only did the will of the Father. In John fourteen fifteen, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, in other words, and I'm going to prove this to you, but you don't just go and do everything for somebody. That's not God either, and that's not love. Well, I thought you said give unconditionally. I did, but I also said give at the leading of God. In other words, you know, just because my kids ask for something doesn't need, mean that my kids need everything they ask for. I need, if I'm going to be in love, I've got to be led, and I need to hear from the Lord and seek Him on what they get and what they don't. Same thing with my wife, and same thing with me. It has to be led by God. I can be in a, I can make a choice. I can be committed, and I can unconditionally give. But that doesn't mean I'm in love. And here's the proof of it in First Corinthians thirteen three. It says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love. Now look at this. I give everything away, all my possessions, or even I surrender my body to be burned. And the way to look at that is that, that you're given everything you have, everything you have to somebody, to the point where it takes your life. That it's just... It's uh, burnt up, right? I'm burning the candle at both ends. That's, that's what it's talking about. You know, I, I'm, I'm giving it, and you can, you can do these in different ways. You can, you can try, I've seen spouses try to give everything to their other spouse, and it'd be wrong. I've seen people try to give in love to their business and their work, and they burn themselves out. I've done that, and it's wrong. Why? Because look at the next statement here. He says, if I give it all away, or if I give, surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love. Now, wait a minute. He made a choice. He made a commitment. He was unconditionally giving. That wasn't love? No. Because they missed the final point. They hadn't heard from God to do that. They were outside of his will. So in other words, and he says, and have not love. So in other words, they could do all three of those things, but still not be in love. And the thing is, and here's what happens. It profits them nothing. Nothing. So in other words, and can you imagine some of the people getting to heaven, not having understood this, that they're sitting there, Lord, I made a choice. I committed to you. Look, I'm sitting here in heaven early because I stressed myself out, worked myself to the bone. I gave everything to her, and I'm sitting here early. <laughs> because I died early. And the Lord <laughs> and the Lord says, 
profits you nothing. And they're like, what? You think, you think it's going to be you know, untrue what God said because you gave so much? No, he's already proclaimed it. It's, already, it's a truth. This is spiritual truth. You're not going to change this. So no matter how much you think it is or plead or beg, you've got to have that final aspect that says, what's he told you to do? What's he led you to do? And you only need to be doing that. So love, agape love, is a choice and a commitment to unconditional giving at the leading of God. Now we have a very interesting exchange in John 21. And this is the last thing uh, as we wrap up. Because what you have here is, uh, you know, Jesus is risen from the grave. They've seen him. He's appeared, you know, Thomas put his hand in his side and felt that he was real. They, then, G, then Peter at one point goes, I'm going fishing. You know, and he gets up and goes fishing, and then they're like, "We're going with you." You know, and they go out there, they fish all night, and here's the here's the story: they fish all night, they caught nothing, and then some uh, knucklehead over on the on the island says, "Throw your nets on the other side," and they're like, "Oh my grace!" So they throw it on the other other side. Now all the fish come in, and they're like. Hold, that's not a knucklehead, that's Jesus, right? And Peter's like grabbing his coat, I'm gone, I'm going to go see Jesus. He gets over there, Jesus has fish cooking, and uh, they sit there, and then we enter the story. And he says this, this is John twenty-one fifteen. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now, that sounds like just a kind of weird exchange, but there's a lot. It's a very interesting conversation. There's a lot that happens in here. And so the first thing, let's get back up to verse 15. And it says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love agapeo? Agapal, that, that's going to be it now. It's got to be pal. And uh, Agap, do you love me more than these? Now, what's interesting, before we get into the love piece of it, notice what he says. What Love me more than these. What's the these? What's the these? I mean, he could be talking about the other disciples. He could be talking about, and what I think he's talking about, I think he's talking about the fish. Because fishing was his life. Then he goes fishing, which is kind of a weird setup for this story. And then he has fish sitting there, and he's like, do you love me more than these? In other words, one of the questions that Jesus was asking is, do you love me more than the life that you see in front of you? Do you love me more than your senses? 
Do you love me more than what your flesh is going to desire to do? Do you love me more than that? Are you willing to make choices for it? And, and I think you can put it like this. In your marriage and in your relationship, are you going to love God more than you're going to love your flesh? Are you going to love God more than you're going to love your habits? Are you going to love God more than what your dad taught you? Are you going to love God more than what the world has led you to this point? Are you willing to drop it and say, Lord, teach me, show me, and I'll do what you say and do? And some huge, I mean, that alone is worth preaching right there. Do you love me more than your comfort zone of making a living? Because that's what the fish were. It was comfortable. That's why he went and did it. You know, in, in our relationships and in, in our fellowships, do you love me more than your comfort? Are you going to agape love them unconditionally, make a choice and commitment at the leading of God to unconditional giving more than what your whole background has told you is right? And when agape says give to them anyway and you say, well, they don't deserve it because they hadn't been working for it. Are you going to love them? You know, when, all right, you know, Man, my wife, she just has been doing the same thing for five years. I've asked her to stop, and she won't stop doing it. I'm tired of doing this. And God says, will you agape love her more than what you're asking right there? More than her bad habits, his bad habits? More than these? I don't know, just, you know, little point thrown in there. And then he says this, he says, and this is very interesting, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now when he says love, he says agape. Alright? He says agape. And then, and then um, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Phileo. So, Jesus says, godly love you do you godly love me do you make a choice and commitment to unconditional giving at the leading of the father love me and and peter says i love you with a brotherly love i'm so fond to you jesus yes i love you i'm so fond of you now look and it's interesting and and see jesus was using a different word and yet he still and and what i love about this is you can see the same things that we go through today, even with having the word love used, one word for so many different meanings, here's different words being used, and yet Peter still doesn't catch up. And part of it, I would say, is because he, he's still going off of what the world has taught him love is. So he's having the same issue. As we see that he goes on and gets filled with the Holy Spirit, man, he starts agape loving. But right here, he's still not even getting it. It's the same thing in the, next, in the next verse when he says again. Now notice in the next time he's asked him, he doesn't say more than these. He leaves that part out. But again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you, that I brotherly love you. You know that I'm fond of you. 
And even in, in the last one, uh, Peter says this. He says, he, he, says uh, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you, and then here Jesus says, do you phileo me? Do you love me with a brotherly love? See, Jesus was asking them three different things. He was saying, do you agape me more than what you know and what's your comfort zone? All right, yeah, yes. Do you agape me, period? All right, now, do you have fondness for me too? And it's important that he says those things because I think each one of those three things is important. Jesus is asking three different questions. Peter answers them the same, same answer with everyone because he sees it as one question three times. But it's different. And the results, what Jesus says, is different too. But then Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love phileo me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love phileo you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. So I think what Jesus was asking him was what I, what I just said. Do you love me more than what the world's taught you? Do you love me more than what your flesh says? Do you love me more than what your lust says? Do you love me more than what your emotions say? Do you love me more than what your comfort says? Will you, will you put all that aside so that you can choose my way, make a commitment to my way, give for my reasons and give at my leading? Would you put what you know and what you see and what you experience to the side? That's the first point. Put it to the side. And then the second point is, do you just period, do you agape me? Not, not just putting things to the side, but just do you, do you love me? You know? Do you just love me? Will you make a choice and a commitment to unconditional giving? And then the last one is, do you, will, are you fond of me? Are you fond of me? Because I think this is important in a fellowship, in a relationship. It's not everything, but it is important. Are you fond of me? Do you love me like a brother? And then what's interesting is, he, and I think that we can take that into our relationships, that we need to not only agape, but we need to be fond of each other and work towards keeping that fondness with each other. That means spending time with each other. You know, Nicole and I just exchanged, you know, we've been talking about rest and we've been talking about love and relationships a lot more recently. And uh, partly because, you know, we, just like y'all, need to work on this stuff. It doesn't just, you know, uh, Tara and I were talking earlier today and, and, and she was like, you know, sometimes we forget that stuff doesn't just magically happen for, you, for pastors. You know, and, and it doesn't, you know. It, we have to work on things just like you do. You know, and one of those things is relationships and fellowships. And, and I asked her, I sent her an email the other day, and I said, hey, I said, and, and, and part of this was me not knowing, and part of it was her not knowing. What do you like to do? What is it something that you would like to do and have fun? And part of the reason why we don't know is because we gave ourselves to be burnt to a church for six years straight. And we had so much stuff to do and nobody stepping up to do it. We were given everything we had and we didn't have time to go do stuff we liked. And in that period of time, what we like has changed. Because <laughs> when I started, I liked certain things that I don't like anymore now, you know, and they've changed. And part of that was, of course, you know, church's fault. Part of that, and most of it, was ours for giving ourselves to be burnt at that level. 
incorrect. It's wrong. Not hearing the leading of God. And so we've started to correct that and find our rest in the Lord and say, hey, we can't do that all the time. We can't, you know, give, 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 give. But, you know, and when I say that, you know, some people, you know, they'll come in and they'll, you know, volunteer at different churches, you know, once or twice a week and they think that they're giving everything they have to God. That's not, I'm talking about, you know, not being done with work at 9 and 10 o'clock every single night. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Because some people hear that and be like, see there, I don't need to volunteer to go in and help clean up the sanctuary. <laughs> you know, so you kind of watch what people will think on that. You, you need to be led. That's probably where you need to do more giving. You know, in our situation, we need to actually do more hearing what is to be done. And you'll go through different phases of that. I've been on both sides of that. So one of the things I said is, what do you like to do? I need to find out because I want to start thinking towards her in an agape way. What do I like to do? I like it when somebody thinks about me and says, hey, what do you like to do? Well, she likes it that way too. And so I need to find out what do you like to do because we need to spend time together and have a fondness with each other because, because of the time that we spent to have fun together. What do you like? So... You know, she told me a few things, and we went and did uh, did some of that just past weekend. Just jump right in. Don't waste time. Jump right on it. Jump right on it. So it's interesting in here, too. So he says these things, but then he says this. He says, here's what will happen when you agape and agape and phileo in these three different ones. One, he says, tend my lambs. One says, shepherd my sheep. And one says, tend my sheep. So you have basically two different verbs and two different nouns in those three statements. One is tend, uh, tend my lambs. In other words, that means when you agape, what he was telling Peter is when, when a sheep is so small that it can't take care of itself, make sure that they're fed properly, tend to them. Okay. And let me relate this to a fellowship and a relationship and a marriage. There may be some areas that your spouse is not mature in. And agape feeds them when they are not mature in that area. It doesn't push them away because they're immature. Does that make sense? Now, the next one says, shepherd my sheep. That means to care about the welfare of them, take them to the places, discipline them, show them, shepherd them. In other words, and sheep is not lambs anymore. We're talking about grown-up sheep. And so that's saying that we should do everything. What agape does is it looks at the life and it helps to bring up everything in every area to the place that it needs to be. It doesn't just care about one piece of their life it cares about every piece of it and it does what it needs to do to bring them up in every area to shore them up in those areas that's what agape does and then the last one says this it says if when you have that phileo love he says tend my sheep again it's the same verb from the first and the same noun from the second so these are adult grown-up uh, lambs and it says feed them tend to them Help them. In other words, give them what they need. Give them what they need. 
So you can see that in agape, Jesus shows us in that one example. In other words, whatever it is that they're lacking, whatever needs to be shored up, these are the things that agape does. And it doesn't do it because they're messing up. It doesn't do it because they're immature and they cry all the time. You know, and they're always whining about this one thing. That's the one that he says feed. Love on them. Give to them. And you know what? That's <laughs> This is awesome. Thank you, Lord. That's the one that says, do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love them when they're crying and whining more than your flesh says, oh my gosh, would you shut up? You know, Do you love them at that place more than your emotions and your nerves? <laughs> That's the one that I didn't see that before. That's great. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love, walk in agape, just as Christ also loved, agape you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This is a commandment. Be imitators of God, walk in agape just as Christ did. As we wrap up, I want to show you this one, one thing and then make this statement to you. Sometimes these four different kinds of love are better understood by how you receive them. In other words, it's hard for us to picture what that looks like going out, but when I mention these things to you, receiving them, it might open up your eyes and you need to see it as me returning that back to that other person. So Eros love is, we want to be desired. You know? I want to be desired by my wife. I want to be desired by God. That's a good thing. Until I try to live by that. Until I try to, I want to be desired so much that I try to get smiles on Sunday, you know, or something like that. Or I, or I want to be desired so much that I'll never say no. When I try to live by it, it's wrong. But you can see, don't you want to be desired? And even if you say no, the thing is, your flesh, it, it's down there somewhere. You have, a, you have a desire to be desired. This is eros. And so you want to raise this inside of yourself for your spouse. Is, I want to ask God, if you're not feeling desire toward your spouse, trust me, they want to be desired. And if you're not feeling that desire, then ask the Lord to start helping you. Start applying faith towards desiring them. One, just so you can help love on them. Phileo, this is that brotherly love, that fondness. We want to have some close friends. Uh, let me put it this way. We want to be a part of something. We want to be a part of something. You know? We have that desire to be a part. And so you start seeing that. In, in other words, as we're loving on other people, make them a part of it. Include them. Make sure it doesn't look like they're being excluded. Because sometimes it's not that they're excluded, but it just feels or looks excluded. And brotherly love says, I'm going to make you feel included. That you're a part of something. Storge love is we want to be integral and needed. Not just desired, not just a part, but we're an inter integral part. 
We're, we're a needed part in this. We're a part of a family that it, if, if it went away, it would be greatly, greatly missed. Learn to give this out and make people feel like that they, are, they would be greatly missed. Make them feel like they are such a huge part of who you are. And not because they're not. Learn to see how they are. L- listen to that again. Don't just fake it. Learn, ask God to show you how they are a part. You see, this is what the body of Christ needs to do more with itself, is see how other bodies out there are integral. Because right now, most of them don't think that they are, but you ask God to show you, how are they important to everything that you're doing? How are they so important to me? Because they are, whether you know it or not. So ask the Lord, seek how they are from the Lord. And then agape We want to be loved and given to no matter what. We want to be loved even when we don't deserve it. We want to be given to whether we deserve it or not at all times. In other words, agape is going to give no matter where you're at. It's always going to give and love you. And we need that. We want that. And your spouse needs that and wants that no matter how much of a but they have been. (laughs) They need and want all of those things. And our job as agape is to make that choice and commitment to give to them unconditionally at the leading of God, no matter what the history book says. Here's the two statements. True love is giving more on principle than fondness, desire, and emotions. In other words, we give agape when we don't feel fondness, when we don't feel desire, when we don't feel emotions. We give on principle. I'm going to give because my Father gave to me. I'm going to love because He loved me first. It's not that fondness, desire, and emotion is bad. Those, are, those can be good things when used properly It's just that they are always second class. It's not that Eros, Phileo, and Storge are bad. It's just they are second class when it comes to agape. And the foundation, the thing that will last forever, is a choice and commitment to unconditional giving at the leading of God. So think about those things and think about how they apply to you in your relationship and in your fellowship and then start making proactive moves to be an agape just on principle alone because you're simply returning to that person made in the image of God the love that God has given to you. Amen? Father, we just thank you so much for your love. We thank you. Lord, I just ask you right now that that agape love would overflow in the lives of people, that we would start making choices for that and that alone, Lord, that we would just see your blessings in it, that we would see your mercy in it, we would see your character and see your nature in it, and we would move by it. Lord, we just thank you that we can give agape love because there was a time when we could not. But you saw fit to open it up to us and to love on us. You saw fit for us to be made in your image and likeness and pour out this agape, not just to one another, but particularly in our 
fellowships and relationships and really in our marriage. Lord, let us love on one another with that unconditional love more than we ever have before and let our marriages rise up to the place where they shine like the heavenly sun, where they shine like Your love made manifest, where they shine so that the world can see that's how the Father loves me. And let us be united in that love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for joining us. Have a great night.